So we've been talking about Joseph and Mary, considering Joseph and Mary. Consider, <clears throat> consider. And I want to do like a part two of that and um, kind of tweak it here and there and add some things. And uh, we do have some significant developments inside of the kingdom humanity space. When I add some stuff in there and, uh, you know, and, and just let's see where we land with this today. Um, uh, consider Joseph and Mary. We said that's the word of the Lord, a word from God to us. And the word consider means to think, to consider. It's used quite often in the word of God. Um, uh, you know, consider Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12. Consider him who, um, you know, sacrificed his life. Uh, consider him. And I was, look at him as your example. Look at him as a pattern of, of, of how to do this. Um, when everything is, has failed around you, you can always look at Jesus, Right? I uh, can look at him as an example of how to do this. Uh, consider him, Hebrews 12. That's what Hebrews 12 says. It means to think about him, to, 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 be, to preoccupy your mind about, about Jesus, about the process of Jesus. In particular, in that scripture in Hebrews 12, he's talking about the, the process of Jesus to, 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 to the cross, the crucifixion, and how he engaged that. The idea, or the implied thing is that you and I, are bound to walk through some, you know, difficult moments from time to time. Moments of suffering. And so we can always look at Jesus as an example of how to, how to be and how to exist in times of difficulty. But it also says in Hebrews, in the same actually book, Hebrews 13, uh, you know, consider your leaders. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, consider, uh, look at, the, imitate their faith and con- imitate the faith of your leaders and consider the outcome of their lives. That's what it says. That word consider in Hebrews 13 is a word that means to theorize about the processes of your leaders. Uh, that basically means you sit down and you look at somebody. You don't have to have the details of the actual details of what they've done. But you're looking at the outcome of their lives. You theorize what has probably gone down there. That's what that word means, Yeah. It's like you look at someone's life and you look at, you know, things that have gone down and, and how they have overcome. And then you begin to theorize or conceptualize. You, 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 you theorize what's probably gone down there. And, you know, the rest, you know, the Spirit of God will then illuminate your mind and, and, and you know, illuminate your heart around, around those things. So we have to consider Jesus. We have to consider our leaders, the outcome of our leaders. In this case, we are called by God to consider Joseph and Mary. And I do want to read. And that's where we're going to start with this teaching today. I do want to read these scriptures, beautiful scriptures. The story of Joseph and Mary, in a sense, you know, is like a Sunday school story, like I said last, last Sunday. But it's a powerful story. It's really, it's a story of our beginnings, in a sense. This is where the Lord Jesus is born out of, you know, this young woman and stewarded by this couple called Joseph and Mary. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Therein lies the problem, right? Like I said last Sunday. This is a story of romance. This is a young couple looking forward to their wedding day, and God disrupts their lives. God disrupts their life. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Nobody 
in the village is going to believe that this young woman is, is pregnant and is pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to believe that story. So straight away, you have a, you have a, a story of controversy. You have a story that is filled with suspicion um, and misunderstanding. And you can imagine the sideways gossip that is going on uh, in the village, in the neighborhood about this young woman, Mary. And I was actually talking to Malus about this, the, the way the scripture I didn't put today, Luke, in Luke chapter 1, the way the angel greets her, you know, and, and it describes her as the one who is highly favored. And I was saying, there must have been a process, a way that Mary lived leading up to that moment, right? It means that she was a woman of standard. She, 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 she was godly. She was pure. She, she led a particular life. The way the angel greets her is very revealing of her character. And so her, her controversial pregnancy would have been a contradiction to how she would have been known in the neighborhood. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, this is a good guy. Now, that, that's the kind of guy you want to get married to. Yeah. It's like Namzava says, I, I think I have that. Namzava <laughs> says, I think I have that. <laughs> that's the kind of guy. This is a good guy. Because Joseph's husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So this is a good guy by all standards, you know, by every standard. He's a, he's a good guy. He's not given to... Um, you know, scandals and, and, and embarrassing people. He's just a good guy. This is Joseph. So Mary and Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. It came about through a disruption of a young couple that was about to get married. The birthing of Jesus in our lives will disrupt us. The formation of Christ, the, 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 the formation of the things of God within our own lives will oftentimes bring disruption. I'm talking about the birthing of the purpose of God inside of your life, inside of my life, will guaranteed bring some level of disruption to your plans and to your trajectory, to, 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 to how you are moving forward and to the things that you want to do. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, but after he had considered this, this is Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, we do need the witness of the Holy Spirit about what God does. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So that settles the matter when God speaks. Look at your name and say, when God speaks, that settles the matter. Yeah, the voice of God is a final arbiter. You can't argue beyond that. You cannot be arguing in your mind when God has actually spoken. When God has spoken, God has spoken. When God speaks, our hearts get settled. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her 
until she gave birth to, to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus, according to the instruction of the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When the wise man had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his, mo and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and, let her, and, 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 and left for Egypt. Now, we spoke last Sunday about how this couple will absolutely do everything that God is telling them to do. You know, remember the manger principle? Um, Jesus was born in a manger. And the manger principle, um, the manger principle, my hay fever is acting up today, so you're going to have to excuse me. My, uh, the manger principle is that we will, we will not allow any level of limitation to, 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 to frustrate the things of God. If every Airbnb was full that evening, if every hospital was full that evening, uh, 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 Joseph could find a manger in which... Um, uh, uh, to give birth to the child. And that was, that was a beautiful thing. So, so that's what happens here. Um, uh, you know, he gets up, he takes the child and the mom, and they go to Egypt. In verse 19, in Matthew chapter 2, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mama, and his, and his, and his mama, and went to the land of Israel. Beautiful story. Beautiful, beautiful story that we are reading about here. The story of Joseph and Mary, we said, reveals good stewardship. What kind of stewardship? And that's what God is really pointing our attention to, to the principle of stewardship. Good stewardship of the purposes of God amidst great difficulty and by a young and an inexper inexperienced couple. So it, it, it removes the excuse you may have before God. That, oh, I'm only young, I'm inexperienced, I can't do the things of God. No, we have Joseph and Mary stepping into the unknown, doing things they have never done before, being led by the voice of the Spirit of God, stewarding the greatest mission that heaven has ever released upon earth. You would think that God would take a, a very seasoned, experienced couple, a couple to do this and to steward this moment. He picks these young people. He picks the young people. And so we have no excuse in 2023 in terms of what God is place, placing upon our burdens. We have to steward the things of God. Spiritual stewardship is best demonstrated in the way we live our lives, in the way we administer our affairs, and in the way we face challenges, the way we live our lives. It's easy to say, well, I'm called by God, I embrace the call of God, but really, embracing the call of God reflects itself in your lifestyle, in the, in, in the way that you approach life, in the choices that you have to make, in the decisions that you have to make. That's where the call of God, it rubs against your lifestyle. And sometimes, for, for some of us, it gets too hectic. We just don't want to be disrupted. Right? We want comfort. We want a steady life. We want to know that, hey, in five years' time, this is where things are going to be. The journey of the call of God is a very windy road in which there are you know, sharp turns and curves and 
blind rises. You don't know what's on this other side. God will continue to lead you. So your confidence is not in your intelligence. Your confidence is in the voice of God. As long as the voice of God is speaking in your heart, you have a reason to keep moving. Yeah? You have the reason to keep going because then God is speaking to you. The stewardship that this couple, this young couple demonstrates is amazing. They hold their lives together. In the midst of being upset, Joseph is clearly upset, but he holds his emotions together. He holds his life together. They hold their marriage together. They diligently hear the voice of the Lord and follow him as he leads them through very, very difficult circumstances. They make very, very complicated administrative and logistical decisions, like going to the manger to give birth there. They clearly both agree. They, there is, they are not arguing their way to the things of God. There is agreement. There is harmony. There is, there is working together between this young man and young woman as they steward. Their hearts and their eyes are focused on what God is actually getting ready to do and they face difficulty with with honor how do they face uh, difficulty with honor the question is yeah what happens to you and i when we're faced with difficulty they face difficulty with honor that's amazing right it's like times when things are pressing against you what happens do you snap do you cast god do you scream? Do you become funny? When things start pressing, they face difficulty with honor. I, I want to learn that from them. Yeah? They face difficulty with honor. The purpose of God was advanced by this couple in the midst of controversy, of misunderstanding, and of suspicion. There was controversy all around. And they could not help it. There wasn't a level of explanation you could have given to people to make people happy and satisfied about the story. There is not a level of explain, explaining you could have done. You know? Um, obviously, these are good people. I'm not talking about people who are, you know, prone to controversy. The word says, it's clear, a man of God must not be filled with controversy, right? We avoid controversy at all costs, but sometimes the purpose of God will launch us into controversy. And it's, isn't it amazing that the greatest advance, the greatest mission of heaven takes place amidst controversy and suspicion? There were people that never believed the story of Jesus right through the moment he, 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 he died on the cross. Even when he died, they created a story around his body. There was just controversy around Jesus all around. And that's the Jesus that you and I follow. And I'm not saying let's go out and look for, you know, look, look to be controversial with people. We avoid controversy. We've got to avoid controversy. But I can guarantee you, the purpose of God will oftentimes lead you into controversial spaces. And so when you and I are, you know, aspiring to be good people, we want, to, we want our name to be preserved in society, in public. We don't want controversy. It can be very upsetting when God starts moving, right? And leading us into spaces of controversy. For us, that becomes quite an upsetting, upsetting reality. I also said last Sunday that there were role players that God brought together around the bathing of Jesus. And that the purpose of God will oftentimes lead us into uh, 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 having a date with strangers, with people that we have not known before. Joseph 
and Mary. So what God does is that he renews certain relationships and he brings new relationships also in the space. So Joseph and Mary who are about to break up are renewed and reconciled because of the voice of God. The voice of God settles the matter. God says to Joseph, do not break up. I am here. I am involved. So Joseph and Mary are reconciled. Mary and Elizabeth rediscover each other. They're no longer just relatives who are, you know, just living in society. They now are pregnant with significant babies. They discover, and Ellis said, we've got to rediscover one another inside of the new season of God. Rediscover what it is that we're carrying. In other words, uh, let not the past and the history be the imposing reality in terms of how we see one another. We've got to see one another based on the seeds of the Lord within our own hearts, yeah? No, no man after the flesh, but in the spirit. It's time to rediscover one another. To know one another afresh. To know one another based on the account of the Holy Spirit in the now. What is God saying to me about Mafa, about Keegan? I need to rediscover these men based on the testimony and the witness of the Holy Spirit in the now. Not based on the past. Elizabeth prophesies a pregnancy. There is the wise men who show up from nowhere and they come to worship baby Jesus. They recognize him to be the king and they worship him. It's a beautiful thing. There are shepherds who have been shepherding and really minding their business and the angel of the Lord shows up to them. They also come and look for the baby and they find the baby and they celebrate the baby and they go and testify about these wonderful things. The Russia Simeon, the prophetess Anna, the Egyptians who also, you know, play a, a role of, a, of hospitality to this young couple who are stewarding the things of God. There are people like that that will just simply provide care to you in the journey of, you know, in your journey towards the purpose of God. Of course, John the Baptist, who would have been a relative to Jesus, is the one who announces and introduces Jesus to society. Behold the Lamb of God. So he points everybody's attention to the fact that the Messiah is in our midst. We've got to recognize him. He baptizes Jesus. It's quite a, these are relatives, but they're pressing beyond the familiarity that would have dominated, dominated that relationship. And they are perceiving one another in a beautiful way that is God-filled. What are we considering in Joseph and Mary? We are considering stewardship. Let's say that together. Stewardship. Stewardship. That's what we're considering. The stewardship of God inside of this couple. Stewardship. Stewardship of the purpose of God. How to steward the things of God. That's what we are considering inside of this couple. And whether we're married or single, it does not matter. We are looking at young people stewarding the things of God. And we have things to learn from there. It defines stewardship in the following way, LSA. Stewardship is simply the administration of the purpose of God. The administration of the purpose of God. We, we're here to administer the purpose of God. The, the things that we do, um, this meeting, meeting here and finding a venue, and the venue allow, only allows us to meet at 12. The, the, the way we structure our week, the, the, our schedule, our lifestyle, it, it all must amount to the administration of the purpose of God. 
When you look at your lifestyle, you've got to see that in the way that I live, I've got administration of the purpose of God in my life. Amen? Administration of the purpose of God. Administration of the purpose of God. That's stewardship. Stewardship is the way we manage ourselves. The way we manage relationships. The way we manage the affairs of life to facilitate an uninterrupted flow of the purpose of God. Because the purpose, when the purpose of God arrives inside of Keegan's life, when the purpose of God arrives inside of Mafa's life, it's got to be uninterrupted. It becomes a problem when the called interrupt the flow of the purpose of God. That is a big problem in God, right? It's got to be uninterrupted. In uninterrupted flow of the purpose of God, the way we manage ourselves. In other words, I will pick my battles because I'm managing the flow, the uninterrupted flow of the purpose of God. I'm not going to pick every fight. Yeah? Uh, I, will, I will pursue certain kinds of relationships and friendships because I'm managing an uninterrupted flow of the purpose of God. In the way that I administer my situations, it's got to reflect the fact that here is a man committed to managing and leading an uninterrupted flow of the purpose of God. I can't keep snapping and switching back and all the time, you know? Feeling bad and then going back and, oh God, I, forgive me, I still want to call. And then two weeks later, something else happens and then I switch back and snap, oh God, forgive me, I still want the call. The problem with that is you don't know how much space you have in God. Ask Moses. I was actually thinking about Moses. You know, Moses is a great guy, right? He's a great guy. I mean, Moses wrote about Moses, about he was the meekest man on earth. That's how meek Moses was. <laughs> That's how meek Moses was. He had no problem writing in the Bible. It's in your, it's in your Bibles. I am the meekest man on earth, he said. <laughs> the, the, the man was so meek, he had no issues writing about his meekness. And the one time he's going up in fasting 40 days and people start doing the nonsense. You know, when people start doing the nonsense. And he's coming back, he's got the stone tablets. He's got his young trainee, Joshua. He says, Joshua, what sound are we hearing out there, down there? Joshua says, I hear the sound of a war cry. He's Discernment mechanism still has to be improved. He's young. Moses said, no, no, no. It's not a sound of a war cry. Moses, no, I think with this trouble. And when he gets there, he, see a gold, he sees a golden cup. He left his brother. <laughs> he left his brother Aaron to steward the moment. And that was a terrible thing. Bad stewardship of the moment. And Aaron was, was scared when the people wanted a golden cup. And as Moses gets down, he sees the golden calf is like what's going down. And he, he, he was so angry, he broke down the, the stone tablets. Uh, yeah, this is where probably it began. Eh? The meekest man got angry. Even meekest man snapped. <laughs> Boom! And God gives him, okay, Moses, let's do this again. Another 40 days of fasting, that's what it costed him, right? Another 40 days of fasting, I'm going to write the thing again. Let's do it. I like, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's. The people are rubbing Moses the wrong way here. 
up until that moment when they're testing. You remember when they testing? In fact, they were tested twice. Huh? I mean, twice. These people are testing, man. They're testing, and Moses, God, they do this, and Moses does it, and they, they get the water, and they're testing again. And the problem is not test. The problem is quarreling that happens in the process. And they, this time, they really get to Moses, this time. And God said, okay, they're testing, they're quarreling. Go ahead and speak to the rock. I'm going to release water. And Moses is so angry. And I was reading the story this morning. He strikes the rock, and I was imagining that must have been quite a dramatic thing. That wasn't like... <laughs> that was like... <laughs> Everybody like runs away, and, and, and Moses is in trouble. This is, it, this is it this time. You don't know how much you have in God, right? This is it this time, and God, God would cut him off and short-circuit his call. He can no longer lead the people into the promised land. My point is you don't know how much you have in God. So you don't have the luxury to keep switching. I mean, when Moses broke the stone tablets, that, that was big. How do you break the stone tablets? You're written by God. And God goes, okay, okay, I, I get you, Moses. You angry? It's fine. Let's do it again. And then later numbers, like, no, Moses, no, we can't, actually, no, this is it now. You don't know how much you have. You don't know how much you have, how much room you have in God. So you can't keep switching. You can't keep snapping and repenting all the time. You've got to lead a steady life of discipline. Hold your things together, your emotions together. You don't know how much you have in God. There's some of us, maybe one chance, maybe some of us five chances. You don't know. God doesn't tell you this. Yeah. The stewardship of the mystery, the way we manage ourselves, relationships and the affairs of life to facilitate an uninterrupted flow of the things of God. The organization of our lives, what is stewardship? The organization of our lives in the call of God. How many of us know once God has called, that requires some level of organization? When I say organization, don't think of an entity. Think about the structure of your life. How are you going to organize yourself? How are you going to structure your time? How are you going to organize your... You better have people around you that understand the fact that you called. And understand your lifestyle. Because if you have people that keep pulling the other direction, that becomes you living in a space of unhealthy tension. That's a big problem. You will eventually give up. The organization of your life and the, pe the person you get married to, you know, for us, Gazis and Kiaras, better understands the dynamic, the dynamic of call, the call of God. It comes with, a, it comes with a, some level of structure and organization. There's a lifestyle here, you know. That's why the Bible talks about be equally yoked. There's a lifestyle here. You don't want to be pulling in one direction and the other person is pulling. And, but it goes beyond just in the example of marriage. It's, 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 it's the people you do church with have to understand you. You don't want to be doing church with a, a bunch of strange guys. You, you know, church is, there's Jesus who understands church and there's you and I. We're not Jesus. <laughs> you have to let Jesus be Jesus and there's, there's, there's you and me, right? You know? Jesus knows how to deal with strange people. 
you can find ways to unramp them back. You know, he, can, he, he knows how he's a master at that. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a human being. I live in time. I'm going to be you know, 70 one day. There's, there's a, a, a mortal limitation to my, to my experience. I'm not the eternal God. And so I, I don't have the time to, 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 to waste. Yeah? The, the people that I live with, the people that are around me. You know, Paul saying about Titus, Titus is the same concern about you Corinthians. God has put the same concern in the heart of Titus that I carry in my own heart. So Paul is saying, this guy gets me. Not because of Dan Bryce, but the Spirit of God has joined us together. We can do church together. That's why we make choices about these things. Which church I'm going to be part of. You are not Jesus. Jesus is part of every church. Right now, he is everywhere doing the Jesus thing. He can be in strange church settings and do the Jesus thing. You are not Jesus. You don't have the luxury, the time to, to fool around. Yeah? The organization of our lives in the call of God. The nature of our movement between encountering God and delivering on his purpose. That gap has to be filled with the grace of God. We can't be high when we are encountering God and low when we're coming to deliver what we've encountered. Yeah. It's like when I encountered, I was so high. Man, I'm so demotivated because actually I ran out of petrol along the way and, you know, things happened. Things happened. How many of us know that? That gap between encounter and delivering the things of God in this earth. This earth is full of disappointments and curveballs and all sorts of things. And you and I have to be able to steward our hearts and our emotions in such a way, in such a way that we maintain the potency of the life of God. I've got to deliver this message the same way I received it, with the same level of potency inside of my own heart. Stewardship is ministry arrangements and operational flows that facilitate the anointing of God again. The, the way we do things. You know, there's a way we do things. Like Kings was talking about, talking about you know, introducing a song a day before, you know. There's maybe in some certain arrangements you want to surprise the congregation. But there's a way we do things because we're after something. We're after the congregation worshiping. That's what we're, there's a way we do things, ministry arrangements and operational flows. So the, 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 the thing that God has put in our heart creates culture. And the last thing you want is to be operating in a foreign cultural environment in relation to who you are inside of your own heart. The culture around you needs to work with you. It can't work against you. Yeah. I, I always uh, find it quite interesting sometimes when it happens to pastors, they, they can create churches that are foreign to who they are. And that in the way that things are done in church actually hinders the thing that God has put inside of the heart of the pastor. But you are the builder of the thing. Why don't you dismantle it and rebuild again? It's okay to dismantle things if things don't work. 
It's same applies in the home, right? I want a, a home, a family whose culture is consistent with who I am. I want the marriage whose culture, that is a culture that's consistent with who I am. How many of us now know that, you know, in the marriage that you are in, you, you could not be in another cultural setting marriage-wise? Yeah? How many of us know that? I mean, there are so many beautiful girls and handsome guys out there, but there is only that one person that can stand with you. Uh-huh. And that's why we pray about these things. The culture of the environment is very, very crucial. And that's why we want to teach the young guys about these things. It's not just about picking a girl. It's about, you know, I'm after a culture that will allow me to deliver the things of God. I'm a man on a journey to purpose. Stewardship is a process of conversion, of calling to kingdom enterprise. And how do we take... Um, what God has put, and God calls one man, and you know, and then he forms out of that through a process. And people come, some stick, some come, and like, mm, I, don't, I don't think I like, you have to be something. Because, but here's the thing, when you become something, some people will like you, some people won't like you. How many of us know that? And, and sometimes, you know, people want to be, they want to please everybody. Because you're trying, to, you're trying to collect everybody. And in, in the end, you're going you're to be frustrated. You've got to be something. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got, you've got to be something. You've got to be something. But when you are something, some people will like you, some people won't like you. Yeah. Jesus calls you to be something. Jesus has called this church to be something. Right? But Jesus is able to live with everything because he creates all things. We are not. We are called to, configured by God to be something. I can't function in certain church environments. Because I'm called to be something. I have a, I have a particular mission in God. But there are spaces that Jesus can function in that I can't. I'm not Jesus. You know, how many of us know that? You're not Jesus. You know, you didn't create all things. So, Let's get this stewardship thing right inside of this 2023. Because I think it's going to be crucial inside of the journey of God for us. And we looked at Paul. And as we look at Paul talking about stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. You've got to love Paul, right? I love Paul. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants and stewards. And that's where Paul brings in the stewardship issue. The NIV says we're entrusted with the mysteries of God. The NLT says, God has put us in charge of explaining God's mysteries. There's a mystery. There has to be a mystery in every church. There has to be a secret. There has to be a thing that God is doing. There has to be a mission in every church that God is up to. We are stewards of the mystery. And that's the word economos. We are stewards 
of the ministry. We have stewardship. We are the, you know, oikonomoi of the things of God. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that word literally means meaning the administration of a household. The administration of a household. The administration of the affairs of the household. It means a house distributor, a manager of an estate, administrator, a person who manages domestic affairs of a family or business, one who assigns tasks and portions, one who manages affairs and accounts, a treasurer, a fiscal agent, the best Example I have in modern day life is the minister of finance. He is the steward. He is the allocator of the resources of budget to different departments to facilitate life. And Paul says, well, we receive a call from God, a grace from God, the purpose from God, and we've got to dispense it. We've got to distribute it. We've got to allocate it. And the spirit of God helps us in the detail of how we do that. That's important. That's a powerful, powerful word. Paul says we are stewards of the mysteries. And that word mysteries meaning secrets of the kingdom. There are things that God wants to do. Secrets. Things that are unknown to human reason right now. Things that have not entered the mind of man. But that do need to enter the mind of man to improve the condition of life. And Paul says we are ushering those things into earth in 2023. In our case. So how do we do this, LSA? How do we steward the things of God? And as we release um, uh, an invitation to the mission of kingdom humanity inside of this season, that's what we're doing. In the midst of that, computers breaking down. In the midst of that, it's hot in Devon. In the midst of that, it's this and that. You know, and heaven waits. Yeah? And there's all sorts of challenges, all pressing all around. And heaven waits. But, you know, I'm thankful for the kind of marriage because then yesterday on Sunday I can, I can wake up and go and, and, and go away to work up until midday. That's not going to be an argument later. Yeah? Of like, what kind of Saturday is this? <laughs> what kind of Saturday is this? I didn't know what I, what I subscribed to. This is not what I, when I made the vows... This is not what I meant. Do you get this? Uh, that can be an example for you in a different context, but that's the stewardship of the mystery. You know, we can't be arguing about the parity of chores and, you know, I've been washing the dishes. I needed you to wash the dishes this Saturday morning, honey. And you went away. <laughs> you chose to, to go away. It becomes an argument, right? <laughs> you choose to, it, 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 it can't be. Because actually there's a world out there that's waiting. And the world doesn't care who washes the dishes on Saturday morning. <laughs> the world is waiting for the things of God to be delivered. Does not care who washes the dishes and who doesn't. And of course, you know, we've got to make up for that, right? to make up. So I slept, yes, I slept midnight washing the dishes yesterday. Man. <laughs> amen. Say amen. <laughs> I slept midnight, Kyle, washing the dishes because I missed, I missed my turn on, on Saturday morning. Because heaven doesn't care. 
<laughs> Heaven does not care. What are other examples, logistical examples, of chores and how things are done inside of our lives? Mysteries. Mysteries. Mrs. Stella is the power woman here. She's, <laughs> she's taking both of them out. <laughs> mysteries. Let's say mysteries. sign a contract when you come to the call of God and for this church, administrating the mysteries of, of God, for this church. At the end of the day, you know, heaven waits, whether you're walking through your 2022, heaven waits, right? For the delivery. You've got to arrive in January 2023 stead for the things of God. Not depressed. Yeah? Because heaven is waiting for the things of God to be delivered. That's a contract we signed with God. Yeah. That's a contract we signed with God. We said yes to the call of God. So what kind of issues you walk through? What kind of problems? You, and Jesus can demand it because he has already made an example by going to the cross. Right? Like you and I want, want our salvation. You know, we, we're not, which soldier insulted and what, what he said? What word? You know, you want your salvation. Jesus has to deliver your salvation. And so he goes through what he has to go through to deliver your salvation. He's been the example so that we can follow that same example. And so Paul is saying, hey, there is the administration of the, of the, of the mystery. Ephesians 3 verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul the prisoner, a captive in bonds. And I was actually thinking, Paul, when, say, when Paul says a prisoner, is not being metaphorical. How many of us know that? He actually is a real prisoner. Right. He's actually going through a condition. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for the sake of you. So he sees purpose in his challenges and problems. He sees how it links up to the purpose of God. It's, it's, it's a couple having to work out the Saturday morning and who washes the dishes and who doesn't and linking that up to the purpose of God. This is now bigger than just a closed up argument about chores. Yeah? Yeah? You, you get the point? Yeah? It's about the purpose of God. Surely you have heard about the administration. That's the same word. Or economia. Which by the way is the word economy. As in economics, the way we flow. Let's say that together. The way we flow. There is a way we flow in the things of God. There's a way we do things. And it's culture. It's, it's, um, now, remember, we did a teaching a couple of years ago, and it said, actually, part of what frustrates people in the purposes of God is culture. We had identity and we had culture as well. Culture can be hostile to the delivery of the purposes of God. The way we flow. There is a way we flow, LSA. And that way we flow can't be South African. It can't be black. It can't be Zulu. It can't be Indian. It's got to be born out of the burden of the kingdom of God upon our hearts. There is a way we flow. And we learn this. To all of us, by the way, learn this. To, including myself. 
I discover the way we flow along the way because really, ultimately, I'm not the pastor of this church. Jesus is. And Jesus directs the way and sets the way we must flow. The economy of this church is determined from heaven. We don't take the best practice from South Africa or from Devon to work out how to do church. And once you discover the fact that there's a way we flow, that gives you the creativity to come up with ideas about, okay, let's not do this, let's do that. Let's do it this way because there's something that we are after. There's an objective that we are heading for. There's a way that we flow. In a family, there has to be the way that we flow. Yeah. So if you look at the Kleli household, the Hadebas, there has to be the way that we flow to facilitate the purpose of God. The way we flow, the way we structure our Saturday, the way we structure our finances, the way we structure our time, the way we structure our, our Fridays. There's a way that the PLAs flow. You know, for them, you're not going to find them in a cinema on Friday. You're going to find them inside of a worship. Me, you know, me sometimes I dodge and go to the cinema. <laughs> you know, we, we, have a, we have a collective thing from God that we carry as a community. And there are individual demands inside of that. You understand that? The individual demands. Yeah. Yeah, if, if I'm a pastor of the church, it means that I have to be the first man in line and the last guy. First and last. That's what Paul says. Yeah? As apostles. First and last. You know? It's not about privilege. There's a way that we flow in the things of God. The way that we flow. The way that we flow. The way that we, that's why Paul is talking about the administration of the mystery. In verse 8, it says, This grace, this grace, this ability, this competence was given me to preach, number one, it says, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration. And that's a different word, administration. It's a word, it's a word koinonia, the fellowship. How to interact with the word of God. I can explain it to you, Paul says. The administration of the mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. And by the way, I want to talk about the way we flow inside of families and parents. That includes your children, right? And you know, growing up in a, in a, in a, in a Christian family, my father was a pastor, you know. I couldn't do certain things. Like, why, why can't I do certain things? There's a way we flow. I'm grateful today for that, right? But I, I definitely envied my friends, man. They could just go around in the evening, go wherever they wanted to go. Man, if I came back late, my mom, there would be a little stick of guava, you know, by the corner. It's like, I'm going to get it properly. The way we flow. A culture was being instilled. There's accountability. Where were you? You know, but it's like, how does it work with other boys? They're kai. How does it work with other boys in school? I don't know. It's like there's a way we flow. 
And that produces, always will produce a harvest of righteousness. Yeah. Stewardship. A guy talks about the message and the messenger being one. A guy was the message of the Lord, you know, he was the messenger of the Lord in the, in, in the Lord's message. So the message of the Lord rests upon the messenger of the Lord. Divine things rest upon human agency. Mortals who exist in the fragility of time carry divine eternal things of God. That's a mystery of the kingdom, right? So that scripture in Haggai chapter 1 verse 13, and spake, that's, that's a strange word in the old King James, spoke Haggai in the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people. The NIV says, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. There is a dynamic relationship between the messenger and the message. The message rests upon the messenger. This is not a professional job, in other words. You don't go into it at eight and leave at four. It's a thing that lives with you all the time. It's a demand of God. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the burden of the Lord that rests upon us. It does not lift. It always, when you're sleeping, it creeps in when we're having pillow talks. It's like, uh, we didn't plan to talk about that. But we find ourselves talking about a whole bunch of things. This is a pillow talk moment. It creeps in because it's not a professional job, this. It's the burden of the Lord. That's what the prophets would say in the Old Testament. I saw the burden of the Lord, the vision that Isaiah saw concerning the burden of the Lord. And they would prophesy out of that place called burden. I think the Hebrew word is masa. The thing presses upon you like donkeys carrying loads. That's who you are. You are a donkey. That's what LSA has to be. The donkey of the Lord. Carrying the load and that thing rests. It will not lift. There is no 4 p.m. time when you knock off. Yeah? The thing rests with you. The message and the messenger are one. Divine eternal things rest upon mortals. And these mortals exist in limitation of time. Yeah? We have to have meetings within a certain time because we get tired. They must deal with their state of mind. Like God, I mean, God help me deal with my state of mind. Romans 8 talks about, you know, the mind of death. Be careful of the mind of death. Eh? Depression, all these uh, hectic thoughts coming into your mind that are contrary to what God wants to do. So, Mortals have to deal with their state of mind. They have to engage chores of life, like washing dishes late at night, but waking up in the morning and looking at your PowerPoint. You can't be grumpy in the process. Because you're not working for an earthly boss. You know, when you have an earthly boss, you can be grumpy here, Kiara. Like, <laughs> you know, I can discharge myself here because, you know. But you're working for Jesus. Mortals get exhausted. Yeah? Do you get exhausted? They have good and bad days. They encounter frustrating situations. They have relational tensions and relational fallout sometimes. Limitation of resource. But in the midst of all that, they have to advance the purpose of God. That's the mystery of the kingdom. That's the mystery of the kingdom of God. 
How powerful is that? That's the mystery of the kingdom. To illustrate this point, we make an example about the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 24, verses 15 to 21, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet through a painful personal experience. In Ezekiel 24, verses 15 to 21, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn the dead or for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. So I, sp so I spoke to the people in the morning. And in the evening, my wife died. The next morning, I did as I had been in, uh, commanded. Verse 19. Then the people asked me, because people know this is a prophet. Won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? In verse 20. So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to de desecrate my sanctuary. The stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. It's, a, it's an incredible story. Now what's happening here is that God is not killing the wife for the sake of the word. He's using the moment of death for the sake of the deliverer of the word of God. Yeah? The wife dies and, 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 and God has to ride on that. He rides on that. And the prophet is grieving the death of his wife. But he's a prophet. And a word has come from God. And this is an amazing story. Which means that all personal experiences of the prophet are creating a context and a temperature for discernment and delivery of the word of the Lord. How many experiences? All personal experiences of the prophet are creating a context and a temperature for discernment and delivery of the word of the Lord. But the same experiences have the potential to cause destruction to the minister of the prophet, depending on how they are engaged. Case in point, Moses, right? Eventually, he's upset by people, and that affects his call. All personal experiences of the prophet are creating a context and a temperature for discernment and delivery of the word of the Lord. So whatever that is happening around you, circulating, is just calibrated by God, just enough for you to be the man, the woman of God that you call to be. And I've been grappling with this issue about pain and purpose, suffering and purpose. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dynamic, powerful principle that I want us to understand, LSA, because it is absolutely, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. All personal experiences of the prophet. Do you get the story? So God uses the moment around the death of the wife of this guy, Ezekiel, to make a point and to speak to the nation of Israel. And the question is for you and I, how often does God or is God able to use your challenges, your pain, your situations to deliver something of the kingdom through your life? Or does it end in pain and in tears? 
if we are spiritual people, we can be used by God in any context. Yeah? Yes? In any context. So God tells the prophet, son of man, with one blow I'm about to take your wife. Your wife is about to go. To go. That which you delight in. Grown quietly. He instructs him on how to engage the moment. Grown quietly. And there's a message for the nation of Israel. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet through a painful personal experience, almost as though the prophet clarifies the word of the Lord inside of his own heart through the pain that he's going through. So God has to use the agency of a life situation to transmit something from heaven into the heart of the prophet. You can ask the question, is there no other way to do this? Can't we just send an angel with a message? And then, you know, we've got the message still. But he's got to, he's walking through the pain of what God feels. Of being separated from that which he loves. He's not just speaking a message or, or preaching a sermon. He's, he's got an experience. He's got an emotional experience in the message. He's a prophet. That's what prophets are called to be. So he can deliver that message with the emotional energy that's consistent with God at the given point in time. God so decides, uh, well, this is how we're going to do it this time around. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a story. It's quite a story. Treasures and jars of clay. How many, how many of us don't under, understand that? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's say, ladies. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 12. God's power is displayed through human fragility. God's power. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure. We have this amazing thing that God is doing. But it's taking place in jars of clay. To show, to broadcast, to display something. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Then he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not. The sequence I want you and I to, to, to focus on is we are, but not. We are, but not. We are, but not. What does it look like for you and I? Are you, if you are walking in the power of the grace of God, your testimony should be, I am, but not. I have gone through that challenge, but I have not been destroyed. I am, but not. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We, are always, we always carry around in our body the, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body, in our frustrating situations, in our situations. I think Martha was talking about his family earlier. God showing up in that mortal condition. So then death is at work in us. How many of us know that? Death is all around you. Do you know that? But life is at work in you. And there's this dynamic relationship between death and life, and life and death, you know, taking place within our hearts. It's a powerful, powerful story. Life's challenges do not have to result 
in destruction. Life's challenges do not have to result in destruction. Let's say that together. Do not have to result in destruction. So the issue is, that, is not that you and I are going through challenges. The issue is, what's the outcome of the process? And is the outcome reflective of the grace of God or not? As that's an important question. Is the outcome reflective of the grace of God or not? So pain can lead to maturity. How many of us know that? Yeah, Romans 5, verses 3 to 4. Pain and suffering can produce divine energy in the purposes of God. The energy of pain in the things of God. Depending on how we engage these things. Romans 5, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. That's a strange phrase. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. By definitions of the world, that's a strange phrase, to rejoice in your sufferings. So how do you start with suffering and end up with character and hope? You know, I thought hope is something that happens because things are good around me. Yeah? Because, you know, life is working positively. But actually, the Bible talks about suffering, rejoicing in my suffering to the point of character and hope, maturity in the things of God. All of these things are part of the stewardship of the mystery. Stewardship of the mystery. We get the point? We want to do stewardship well in 2023, LSA. And, um, you know, the last couple of thoughts just around the rollout of Kingdom Mission as we seal this up. Why must we do stewardship? Because God is rolling out something in the earth. That's why you and I need stewardship. Because God is rolling out something. There is a kingdom mission. Now here's a scripture that indicates to us the way and the manner in which God rolls things out from heaven. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Of course, talk about Jesus Christ. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. The way God rolls things out. We are in a season of rolling out a kingdom mission. So when God rolls things out, what is the first thing that he does? Things must appear in a, in a body. And that's been the journey of this church inside of the kingdom humanity journey. We have been that first point of contact in the process. And that's first point of contact is a battlefield. And in Hebrews 10, in Hebrews 10, it talks about Jesus. When Jesus came on earth, you know, he says, a body has been prepared for me. How many of us know that the things of heaven need a landing point, a human expression? But that landing point is going to be a, a place of battle. The reason why we've gone through the kind of things that we've gone through. 
It's going to be a, a point of battle, a place of battle, because that's... So what activity do you see around the bathing of Jesus? Herod is, is trying to institute a genocide. All sorts of things are happening. Because there's a battlefield around. Let's fight this thing and not give it a chance. Uh, we see in the book of Revelation, we see the same thing. A woman is about to give birth. A dragon is standing, is positioned right in front of her with the intent to devour the baby as soon as that baby is born. To find yourself in a place where you are the first point of human expression is to find yourself in a space of warfare. Things are going to happen. You find yourself in a place of drama, in other words. So when the mystery of God lands on earth, it's got to find a body, a people. And Robert has got to say, well, I give Jesus a chance to find a first point of expression here. Because there has to be a landing point for the things of heaven. Joseph and Mary give God a first point of landing for the baby to be born. There has to be a landing point. He appeared in a body. Then it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. That which God does has to be accompanied by the witness of the Spirit of God in human hearts. The more we proclaim kingdom humanity, is the more it's got to make sense in the hearts of the people. Vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels as the supernatural activity around the advance of the kingdom of God. Was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, is taking the mission and making it a global reality. It's got to move beyond Devon at some point. Yeah? You've got to write publications and articles and get into a plane and, you know, go to Solomon Islands and preach something there. You're starting to make the mission a global reality. Was believed on in the world, that's apostolic expansion as more people buy into what God is doing was taken up in glory, is you're reaching completion and you're finishing the mission. Did you see the sequence? The flow of how God rolls things out. He appears in the body first. And that's a place of warfare. And it's oftentimes private warfare. Because Joseph and Mary are not going to mobilize the army of Rome and say, <laughs> support us. We're carrying the most important baby on earth. We need a centurion to walk with us with swords and shields. Now, that's a private war. Joseph has to steward the moment by hearing the voice of God. He appears in a body. He's vindicated by a spirit, which is the witness of the spirit of God. Seen by angels, supernatural activity. Like the spirit of God you know, being released and baptisms and all of those things was preached among the nations is taking the mission and making it global like we have just done and like we have been doing in the last couple of years was believed on in the world as apostolic expansion and was taken up in glory. That's completion and finishing the mission, right? That's where you want to find yourself, right? Where you want to find yourself? Taken up in glory. That's where you want to find yourself. That last point there, that's important. Do you see the rollout process? Yeah? Of the mystery. So what is this year, 2023, LSA? It's got to be a year of mission, huh? Yep. 
It's got to be the year of mission. It's got to be a year of bold uh, invitation that should be of people to our revelation in Christ. The revelation of kingdom humanity is simply that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. Something of the nature of God is coming in human form to beautify the church in the midst of the corruption of the world. And that's what we believe. And we're making 2023 the year of mission. That's why you and I need stewardship. Uh-huh. Yes? That's why we need stewardship. God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. So let's make it the year of mission. Look at your neighbor and say, make it the year of mission. Yeah. Let's make it the year of mission. That's important. A year of bold invitation. A year of proclamation of the revelation of God to God's people. From revelation to mission. A mission is a practice of humanity of Christ. That's a mission we're calling the church too. Uh, it's got to be a season where we're practicing Christ's humanity. Where we are shifting from a culture-based humanity to a faith-based humanity. Paul says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in Christ Jesus. The life I live in the body. My human expression is a faith-based process. And God has given us a framework of three spheres in which to practice the humanity of Christ. First is the sphere of your devotion, of worship. The second one is the sphere of your personal humanity. The sphere of your personal humanity. Personal humanity, your character, and all things pertaining to your personal life. The third is the sphere of your citizenship. These are the three spheres that God has told us uh, this is how to express my humanity on earth. So inside of the sea of devotion, we are practicing priesthood, right? Does the Bible call us priests unto God? Yes. And inside of the sphere of personal humanity, we are incarnating Christ through our lives. Like Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in Christ Jesus. I have been crucified. The black Zulu man has been crucified. I am now pursuing a new faith-based humanity in my life. It comes by faith and by revelation of Jesus through the cycle of conviction and personal transformation. Citizenship is that I'm an inhabitant of spaces of life. And these are spaces of family. Schools for those of us who are learners and for our students. Schools, spaces of life. Schools. Workplace, business, cities, nations, and there I am called by God to bring his administration into those spaces. And that's important. That's a big, basic structure of what we're doing. That's what God is revealing to us. So he's given us the revelation, and the revelation is that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. He's given us scriptures around it, core scriptures around it, Revelation 21, verse 2, the bride is adorned, cosmeo, decorated. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, we have to put on the new humanity. And we have a structure in place to execute the mission, Kingdom Humanity Fellowship. And the mission now, 2023, is to mobilize the saints towards the practice of Christ's humanity. Yep. 
And that's what God is doing. That's what we are doing. That's the clarity of what God is doing. The structure of it all put in one table, really, is that inside of your devotion, your identity, you wear the cap of a priest, right? You're all called to be priests. And what priests do is they approach the presence of God in, in devotion. They worship God. So if God to practice powerful priesthood in the earth, powerful faith, powerful worship like we've just done. Yeah? And why do you do that? Because you want to bring the witness of the Lordship of Jesus. When you act as a powerful priest, what the world sees is what? The Lordship of Jesus through your life. And therefore, you, you facilitate the coming of the kingdom into your heart. In other words, you internalize the kingdom of God. You internalize the kingdom of God. Then we move to the next sphere of your personal humanity, your life. And there you wear the, the cap of, a, of being a human. And what does the scripture say to you? You've got to be holy. Be holy because God is holy. And what you need to do, Galatians 2 verse 20, you've got to humanize Jesus Christ through your life. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in Jesus. In other words, I am the incarnation of Jesus. I am the replica of Jesus in 2023. If people have to see Jesus, they have to look at me. That's what basically Paul is saying. What is the witness that I'm bringing here? It's the witness of Christ's humanity to the world and where the kingdom of God gets to come to my personal life. I personify the kingdom. The third sphere is citizenship. What cape am I wearing here? Inhabitant, right? I inhabit spaces. And what does the Bible say here? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Imagine everybody practice the principle of love your neighbor as you love yourself in spaces of life. What would happen to this world? The practice of faith is to bring the administration of God into those spaces and to witness about that administration. And what am I doing here? I'm domesticating the kingdom. I'm making it home. I'm making it Christ, Emmanuel, who indwells. And that's a powerful thing that God is really telling us. That's a structure of what God is saying to us. So the mission of kingdom humanity activates people in their domestic space, spaces or places of habitation to use their lives as platforms of practicing the humanity of Christ. It's not a mission of gathering or extra activity of, or of mobility, as in traveling. It's a domestic mission that accommodates all believers in their various social conditions and giftings, yeah? We internalize, personify, and domesticate where we are. That's what God is saying. And that's the revelation of Jesus coming upon the earth. And that's what you and I are called to be. And that basically is the anatomy of your personal humanity, yeah? Uh -huh, you're a psychological being, sexual being, social being, and all those other things that we have there. And uh, we want to help ourselves and help the church navigate through that. How do I bring Christ through these platforms? Is a big question. My worldview, all of these issues that we have there. Personal humanity in Christ Jesus. And then we have, of course, the citizenship gospel. As an inhabitant of spaces of life, your job is to advocate, reform, reconcile, and develop. So the thing that we don't want to do is the Lord thing. You know, remember the guy called Lot? 
He was in a space of unrighteousness. He did nothing about it. And what happened is that the city was destroyed. He didn't advocate. He didn't reform. He didn't reconcile. He didn't develop. How many believers exist in spaces of life and are doing nothing about the conditions around them? Whether these are schools, workplaces, families, we can't do nothing. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't do nothing. You have a citizenship gospel. Is that you're an advocate, a reformer, a reconciler, a builder inside of the spaces of life. And that's what, in all these spaces, there will always be hostile elements. What are hostile elements in spaces of family? It's parents and children, eh? You want to reconcile that. Reconcile that. Bring that together. And these are powerful things. Things that we want to do. So that's what we're doing, and that's what we have just done, released a, a booklet around this, which is a way to unramp people into the mission. The mission has nothing to do with activity or traveling. The mission is about engaging your domestic spaces to bring Christ and the kingdom there. That's what the mission is about. Amen. So I want to encourage you to, to read this booklet. And we're going to be sending out the thing uh, probably in this coming week. You know, Lone is preparing uh, a poster that puts pressure on her. And we want to do this. We want to execute. We are calling people not to activity, not to traveling. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to get into a plane to engage in kingdom mission. You can domesticate the kingdom where you are. Amen. Amen internalize, personify, and domesticate. So that's why we need stewardship, LSA, because that's what God is doing. And we look forward to working this out. And these three spheres of our faith, devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship is what we want to engage. Amen. Stewardship. That's why I've got to miss dishes on Saturday morning. Because God is calling. So you are a priest, you are a human being, and you are an inhabitant. Uh, the, we have not really represented Christianity or the kingdom in that way. In that comprehensive way. We have not represented Christ on earth in that kind of way. Where we recognize that I'm a priest, I'm a human, and I am an inhabitant all at the same time. Our Christianity has been bound largely within our priesthood and to a certain extent has been spilling over into our personal humanity, but not really here. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of move of God you look at or movement or all, everything has been bound within the two spheres by and large of our priesthood and personal humanity. And we're pushing into inhabitation. That's the next push. Look at your neighbor and say, that's the next push. That heaven recognizes you as an inhabitant. And we've got to exercise your faith in that space. Amen. Let's stand and...